The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. So we're going to be looking today at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we've been working our way, as you know, through the book of 1 Corinthians for a long, long time. And we're getting closer to the end of 1 Corinthians. But as we've done so, we've seen how Paul has laid this foundation of the gospel. He's addressed specific issues and specific uh, questions they may have brought to him. And he addressed teachings on marriage. He talked about whether they should eat things sacrificed to idols. And as we've been spending this time on food sacrificed to idols, and specifically idol worship the last couple of weeks with just a small break last week, we continue on at chapter 10, verse 31. And we're going to go all the way to uh, 11, verse 1 this week. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul begins this section with a clear instruction. Having spent a great deal of time talking about eating and drinking and food sacrifice to idols in particular, he now says, whether you do these things, eating or drinking, whether you do these things, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And in studying this text and reading commentaries and listening to sermons based on it, I began to think about the term glory and the fact that it's one that gets thrown around an awful lot, but might not be Understood, And I was thinking about even, even in Sunday school class this morning, in Bill's class, the book continued to use the term glory again and again and again without ever defining glory and what it was. What I mean is this, a term such as glory may be one that we frequently use, but I'd venture to guess that we never really think about what it means. The Greek word for glory is doxa, and it literally means that which evokes good opinion. In other words, it refers to something that has value or worth and is therefore deserving of honor. That's why earlier we sang the doxology. uh, We sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the doxa is is that word. And the logos is, is the Greek word meaning word. So it's a word which evokes good opinion. Or it's a word of praise to God. When we think of doxa, that which evokes good opinion, the Bible speaks of the doxa of the world, or the glory of the world. In Matthew 4, 8 it says, Again, the devil took him, to, took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, and it showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The Bible also speaks of the glory of man. Matthew six twenty eight says, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Or 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 and 6. For we never came with 
flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. And then John, 14, or John 12, 43 says, For they, the Pharisees, that is, they loved the approval, and that word approval is the same word, doxa, glory. They loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. They love the glory of men rather than the glory of God. So, as we understand those texts, we know that creation has worth and is therefore to be honored. But that worth would not exist without the Creator who gave it its worth. And man, too, has worth and needs to be honored. But that worth would not exist without Him who made us in His image and gave us worth. Thus, Scripture speaks again and again to the glory of God being greater than that of any created thing. The glory of God being greater than the glory of creation. The glory of God being greater than the glory of man. Because He has value and worth far above all other things. And therefore, He is uniquely deserving of honor. So as we think about glory having considered what glory is, that it's value and worth, deserving of honor, and we're thinking about who is to be glorified, namely God above all else, thinking about when and where we should glorify God, that Paul says all the time, everywhere, in every action. He says do all for the glory of God. Even in the smallest of daily actions like eating and drinking. And then he says why we should glorify God because He deserves it, because He's worthy of it. Scripture says He is the Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer of all things. So having considered the what, the who, the when, where, and the why, right? it's appropriate for us to consider how. How do we bring glory to God in all things? So this is how we'll spend the rest of the message, considering how to bring God glory. So the first point in our sermon outline is number one, Do nothing to hinder the Gospel. Number one, do nothing to hinder the Gospel. As I've said many times, Paul builds this entire letter on the foundation of the Gospel. And I think he actually has the Gospel in view here in these verses. For he recognizes that God is glorified in the Gospel. God is glorified in the Gospel. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, brings glory to God. It shows that He has value and worth and is deserving of honor. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 14 14 through 16, He said this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, clearly, Jesus is not extolling the value of good works alone. There are plenty of people in this world who just go and do good works, who give money to the poor, who care for those in need, who do good things. And there are charitable organizations, but those things in and of themselves don't point to the glory of God. Instead, What's being talked about here, what Jesus is talking about, is good works that testify to the power of God in one's life. 
good works that testify to the truth of the gospel. Thus, the response of the people who see these works is not to glorify the worker. It's not to say, wow, that person's a great person, but instead to say, wow, God has done a work in their life and is working mightily in them and through them because they see the hand of God upon that person. Look also at John 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. John 15, verses 1 through 8. says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says, God is glorified when we bear much fruit and thus prove to be Christ's disciples. Again, one of the ways in which we glorify God is by letting others see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, lived out in us. When speaking of fruit, he says that you, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The fruit that is being spoken of here is at least in part the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when these things are evident in our lives, the result is further good works. That when love is in us, when joy is in us, when peace is in us, there's further good works and they testify to the grace of God in our lives and they bring Him glory. See, when such things are evident, it's evident that He's working in us. Because those things are not naturally in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those things are not naturally in us to the extent to the fullness that they come when the Spirit dwells within us and takes control of our lives and the Gospel works in us. To look at it from the other side of the coin, God is not glorified when others do not see the power, of, of the, and, the power and the genuineness of the Gospel lived out in our lives. We've all seen believers, uh, professed believers, who people who profess to know Christ, and yet there seems to be no impact on their lives. That the Gospel hasn't changed, that their profession of faith hasn't really changed the way they live their lives. And God is not glorified in that. That's why Paul says here in our text, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. The Greek word translated offense here literally means to strike or to dash against. And the idea conveys giving someone a push 
or causing them to stumble. So it's actually physically or, or uh, purposefully pushing somebody and causing them to trip. So Paul is not saying, he's not saying this. Never say or do anything that, might, that someone might find offensive. That's not at all what he's saying. That's absurd. Especially in light of the fact of what he says in a couple of verses. In a couple of verses he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Because frankly, Jesus said a lot of things that people considered offensive. Matthew 23, uh, uh, the eight woes, if you will. Jesus repeatedly calls the Pharisees blind guides and hypocrites. And he goes so far as to say things like in verse 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. For a Pharisee, consumed with cleanliness, this would have been unbelievably offensive. Jesus continues on in verse 33 to say, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? You see, the message of Jesus is offensive. That's why in 1 Peter 2.8, quoting the prophet Isaiah, 1 Peter 2.8, Peter refers to Jesus as a stone of stumbling and as a rock of offense. So we would be wrong to think that Paul was saying that we must never offend someone. In fact, just this past week, someone came to me and uh, maybe didn't, they didn't use this term, but they basically said they were offended by last week's message. And not offended because I was rude or callous, hopefully, prayerfully, I pray that's not the case, but offended because they felt a deep sense of conviction. You see, the sermon stepped on their toes. And frankly, it stepped on mine. Just about every week I get up here and I preach, and I'm offended in some way by the things that I say. I offend myself week after week after week. Because oftentimes, this book can be offensive. I get up every morning, I go to my chair, I get my, it used to be coffee, now it's hot water, I know you all think I'm crazy, but I get my hot water, I drink my hot water, and I sit with my Bible, and I, and I find that morning after morning, I'm offended. And I, there have been mornings when I've thought, why don't I like turn on the TV and there's that guy who's like, happy thoughts from God this morning. And he gives you like, you know, like a three minute thing about, and I thought, why don't I do that instead, right? But I don't, because what I, the thing that is, that, that's true is that this book may be offensive, but it's because I need to change. I need to conform to this book. And each week I realize that I need to work harder and harder at applying Scripture and being a faithful follower of Jesus. But Paul's point here is clear. Do not cause Jews or Greeks or the church of God. That's a pretty all-inclusive list. Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble. Don't push them so that they trip on the Gospel. And while many have indeed have indeed and will indeed stumble over Jesus and may find the gospel offensive, we must not live or act in such a way that we are not honoring Him and thereby 
causing someone to stumble over instead of embracing the gospel. We can't live in such a way that they say, you know, that Bill Batty, I know, trust me, this gospel thing means nothing. Right? Don't cause somebody to stumble. The teaching is summed up well in Philippians 1, verses 9-11, through and what I think is a good parallel passage to this passage. It says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. By the way, the same, this is the same word as offense in our text. So he says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be blameless or in order to give no offense until the day of Jesus Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus, to the praise, to the glory and praise of God. Right there it says, just the same as it does in our text, love others, don't cause them to stumble, be filled with the, with the fruit of righteousness, all for the glory of God. Love others, don't cause them to stumble, but instead, be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Let your lives be filled with righteousness so that God is glorified when they see you live. So having seen the first point, the first point in our sermon outline, do nothing to hinder the Gospel. So don't, don't live in such a way that it brings into question the power of the Gospel and the effectiveness of God's grace in your lives. Having seen that first point, do nothing to hinder the Gospel. The second point in our outline is, do everything to further the Gospel. Do everything to further the Gospel. Paul goes on in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 10 to say this, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. This verse, by the way, if taken out of context, can be very dangerous. Clearly, Paul does not mean that his aim is merely to be a people pleaser. He does not mean, I please all men. We're, just gonna, we're not going to bring anything up. We're just going to please people so that maybe somehow they will be saved. Don't forget, Paul has pulled no punches in this letter. He's called the Corinthians arrogant. He said that they're spiritual babies. And he's about to tell them in chapter 11 that he does not praise them for their actions. He's pulled absolutely no punches because his aim is to please God and not just please men. That same point is made perfectly clear by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1. Galatians 1, he writes to the church in Galatia, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, Paul's aim was never just merely to be a people pleaser. Merely to please men. 
And just like in Galatians and 1 Corinthians, Paul's aim was to please God. You see, Paul wasn't seeking the approval of men. But note also, he wasn't being a jerk either. He says, I please men in all things. I please all men in all things. So what does he mean by this? What does he mean in, in uh, Galatians when he says, am I still trying to please men? No, I'm trying to please God. And then in Corinthians he says, I please all men in all things. What does he mean by that? His point is that he does not live in such a way that he's seeking his own profit. The word there is benefit, or it can be translated benefit. He doesn't, he's not seeking his own benefit, but he lives in such a way that he's seeking the benefit of the many. Namely, that they may be saved. See, his goal was to further the gospel. To live in such a way that he was neither standing in the way of the gospel, nor was he the one that was glorified, but that God was the one who was glorified and the gospel was made known. See, his goal, Paul's goal, was never to be an opponent of the gospel, to cause someone to stumble, but to always be a proponent of the gospel. So to never be an opponent, but always be a proponent of the gospel. Because Paul, Paul was serious about living out the command to go and make disciples. He was serious about the great commission. That's why uh, Paul wrote in Romans 1, verses 14 through 16, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I'm under obligation to everyone. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, Paul understood the power of the gospel. And thus, he was willing to lay down his right. He was willing to set aside his own interest and become a servant. A servant who did all that he could to see that others came to saving faith in Jesus. And by the way, this wasn't just Paul's personal philosophy of ministry. It wasn't like Paul said, you know, I think this is the, the, the way I'm going to do ministry. This is what I need to do because this is what's going to be effective. I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm going to seek others. This isn't for everybody, but it is for me. Instead, Paul says in verse 11.1 of our text, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. The command is clear. Do this too. Just as, I want, just as I've been a servant who's laid down my rights, who has not stood in the way of the gospel, but has moved forward in advancing the gospel, just as I have done that, so you should also do that. And here's why. Because I'm following Jesus. You see, Paul never says, just follow me, I've got it all together. Instead, he says, follow me because I'm following Jesus. I'm living and I'm doing this because I got this from Him. You see, Paul was following the example of Christ who did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was following the example of Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. So in review, Paul says this. He says, we live for God's glory. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We live for God's glory. Here's how we do that. Don't just... 
Don't just walk, don't just take this as some catchphrase and say, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. Instead, you say, how do I live for His glory? How do I live in such a way that I'm showing the value and worth of God and bringing praise and honor to Him? How am I living in such a way that others are seeing the value of God and therefore praising God? When they see me, Paul says, I want them to look at me and go, praise God for what Jesus has done through Paul, who once was Saul. And he says, in the same way, in the same way, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. So in review, Paul says, we live for his glory. We live for his glory by, number one, doing nothing to hinder the gospel. By not living in such a way that it brings into question the power of the gospel and the effectiveness of God's grace. But instead, number two, doing everything. We live for his glory by doing everything to further the gospel. Instead, we're called to be living in such a way that we lay down our own desires, our own preferences, and we take every opportunity to point others to Jesus and to testify to his goodness. So here's the big question. So how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically, here at Harmony Bible Church? Well, the short answer is this. right? It's actually, the application should be pretty easy. Because hopefully, you're sitting there and you go, well, this is pretty easy. I mean, do nothing to hinder the gospel and do everything to further the gospel. Amen, let's go home. But you know me and I've got plenty of time, so we're going to continue. Right? Because I... Because I threw this word in there, I put this word in there after the first six months of preaching here, and I added this word, and it's specifically. Because I used to say, how do we apply all of this both individually and corporately here at Harmony Bible Church? And I added the word specifically. So if we're going to ask, how do we specifically apply this, then we must seek also to do so. So how do we seek to do nothing to hinder the gospel and do everything to further the gospel. Well, number one, I would say that we need to pray for help from God. The way we apply this is we pray to God. We get on our knees daily and we say, Lord, help me. Help me to live in such a way that when others look at me, they don't think, hypocrite. And you know what? Some will anyway. But do nothing that hinders the gospel. Don't live in such a way that others think, that Jesus, I don't need that. If that's what Jesus is all about, I don't need that. Instead, live in such a way that we're furthering the gospel and pray for God's help because I, tr- I, I assure you, you cannot do this in your own strength. I cannot do this in my own strength. It is nothing that we will be able to do. So we get on our knees and we pray, Lord, help me to not hinder the gospel, but to further the gospel. And then number two, we seek Him in His Word. That we make this book, the the instruction book, the tool by which we come to God and hear God's voice. That God has spoken to us through His Word, so we should read daily and meditate on it. A few weeks ago, I gave Julia and Thomas those Bibles, and I said, I pray that you wear them out. And I meant it. I pray that they wear them out. That there are pages that don't quite turn right. That some of, the, some of the pieces of the text are missing because they've been read so many times and the text is faded. We need to pray for help. We need to seek Him in His Word. Read daily and meditate. Number three, 
We need to encourage one another. If we're going to make sure that nothing hinders us or hinders the gospel and that we're always furthering the gospel, we need to be praying for one another. We need to be sharing testimonies. Testimonies both of how we failed and God picked us up and testimonies of how we succeeded and God carried us through that. Testimonies of, you know, I blew it this week and I stood in the way of the gospel, but next week I'm going to do everything to further the gospel. Testimonies of, you know, this week, I can't believe it, God used me in this way. We need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another by living life together. That doesn't happen on Sunday mornings, folks. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. That if the full extent of our church life is just connecting with believers on Sunday morning, we need to also be friends with one another. We need to seek out each other. We need to to live life together. And don't hear me say that means every time the church door swings, you need to be here. What I'm saying is you need to be in community with each other and know what's going on in each other's lives. And that's hard work. doesn't mean you'll know everybody in the church especially as the church grows, but it means that you need to be connected with other believers who will lift you up, who will encourage you. And number four, we need to hold each other accountable. This goes hand in hand with encouragement. Sometimes the encouragement needs to be encouragement to correct behavior in our lives. We need to hold each other accountable, both in living a life worthy of the gospel and in proclaiming the gospel. We need to come to each other and say, how are, you, how are you doing? Are you in God's word? How are things going at work? Are you maintaining your witness and your testimony? How are you doing? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Have you shared with people at work? Have you shared with the clerk at the grocery store? How can I pray for you? Number five, we need to look for opportunities to share the gospel. I might even say we need to seek opportunities to share the gospel. Far too often, we we get through another week and we're like, well, the Lord gave me no opportunities this week. Whew, guess i got to pass on this one. Instead, maybe we should seek opportunities to share the gospel. Look for advancement. Look for, go to the grocery store and, and look for an opportunity to speak truth into the teller's life. Or the teller, the, the clerk's life. Go to the bank and speak to the teller. Whatever it is. Lean over the fence, as I've said many times, and speak to your neighbor. And say, hey, how are you doing? Do you know I'm praying for you? And then use that as an in to share the gospel of Christ with them. You know, God's been working in my life, and I've been really praying for you. And here's what God spoke to me to say to you today. We need to do that not only as individuals, but also as a group, right? We need to not only lean over the fence as individuals to our neighbor, but we need to reach our community through things like St. George Days. Number six, we're getting close. Number six, we need to be serious about meeting the lost where they are. Paul said, I become all things to all men so that I might save some. That we need to be serious about meeting the lost where they are. Going out into this community and maybe uh, talking to people that don't look like us, that don't talk like us. Maybe... uh, Inviting people over for dinner that don't look like us or talk like us. See, we shouldn't expect the world to clean up their act, so to speak, before coming to know Jesus. In fact, that is the exact opposite of the gospel. It's Jesus who changes us, who grows us. And anything that is good in you, it is because of Jesus and his work in you through the gospel So we need to be serious about reaching people in this community. 
And number seven, above all, we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to each other. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. That we were sinners deserving of hell and that Christ died in our place, that He was raised on the third day, defeating death so that we might live. And that as we remember that, as we remember what Christ did for us, that that will motivate us to grow. It will motivate us to change. It will motivate us to do all these things, to pray for one another, to seek God in His Word, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to look for opportunities. That The Gospel is the motivation to do those things. The Gospel must be the motivation for us. And as we remember the Gospel, I pray... I pray that we all live for His glory and that we live for His glory by doing nothing to hinder the Gospel and doing everything to further the Gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus. God, as I reflect on my need for a Savior, how can I not share what you have done for me. As I reflect on the grace you have exhibited in my life, the forgiveness you have granted, Lord, how can I not shout from the rooftops? God, help me to live this out. Help us all to live this out. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we would do nothing that would ever hinder the Gospel, but instead that we would do everything to further the Gospel. God, I know that as we do that, You will be glorified. And God, I pray that we would never seek our own glory, but only Your glory, the glory that You deserve. We would seek to see You glorified. We pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.